You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 17 is where we're going to be this morning. Genesis 17, and then while you're finding that, James chapter 1, we're going to be there at the end of the message. So for those of you looking, always looking for the end of the message, when, we, when I say James 1, you can start getting happy. So Genesis 17 and James chapter 1, and once you've found one or both or any of them, let's stand together. Genesis 17. We're going to be here in our series in Genesis, still looking at the life of Abram um, this, this morning. This, this text is significant for two reasons. Uh, number one, um, this is the text in which God changes name. God changes Abram's name from Abram to Abraham. And so I can finally start telling myself I can say Abraham because saying Abram is hard. He's Abraham, you know, so that God changes his name here. But number two, this is the chapter in which God implements the Jewish sign of the covenant, which is circumcision. And I know that's, that can be a, an awkward subject a little bit, but, but, I, but it is important to God's economy. It's important how God dealt with the children of Israel. It's a physical sign of the covenant, of the promise that God made to Israel. It was a very important part of their religious experience, of their service to the Lord and there's a lot to unpack here in this chapter. I'll try to hit the high points and not spend too much time. It's hard for a preacher to go past a verse that you want to just park on for a little bit. And yet, um, if I want to get down to the main point and want to have you to Pizza Ranch by 1230 or 1245, I'm going to have to move along quickly. So let's read the chapter, Genesis 17, and uh, we'll read it together. I'll try to read and give a little bit of explanation as we go so that we don't have to cover some things later. Genesis 17, it says, And when Abram was 90 years old and nine, the Lord appeared to Abram and said unto him, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. And honestly, if we spent all day on that one verse, that'd be all we would need. Uh, that's an incredible thought in verse. Verse 2, it says, And I will make my covenant between me and thee, and will multiply thee exceedingly. And Abram fell on his face, and God talked with him, saying, that is a right response to God's revelation, to fall on your face. God talked with him, saying, as for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. Neither shall thy name be any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be, called, shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. And I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come out of thee. And I will establish my covenant between me and thee, and thy seed after thee in their generations, for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee, and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee, and to thy seed after thee, the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. What a promise. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant, which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. 
And you shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you, every man, child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger, which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house and he that is bought with thy money must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant." And the uncircumcised man, child, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. And God said unto Abraham, As for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. And I will bless her, and give thee a son also of her. Yea, and I, I will bless her, and she shall be a mother of nations. Kings of people shall be of her. Then Abraham fell, Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said in his heart, Shall a child be born unto him that is a hundred years old? And shall Sarah that is ninety years old bear? And Abraham, Abraham said unto God, I will get used to saying Abraham now. Abraham said unto God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. Do you get the sense that even though God is confirming, reconfirming his covenant, you're not really sure that Abraham really believes it's going to happen. His first response is laughter to God's promise. And he says, oh, that Ishmael might live before thee. He had my other son, the son that I had with Hagar. Oh, if only he would live before thee. Look at God's response. And God said, verse 19, Sarah, thy wife, shall bear thee a son indeed. And thou shalt call his name Isaac. He tells him what to call him. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a na great nation. But my covenant will I establish with Isaac, which Sarah shall bear unto thee at this set time in the next year. And he left off talking with him and God went up from Abraham. Look at Abraham's response to all this revelation. And Abraham took Ishmael his son and all that were born in his house, and all that were bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and circumcised the flesh of their foreskin in the selfsame day, as God had said unto him. And Abraham was ninety years old and nine, when he circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was thirteen years old, when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And in the selfsame day was Abraham circumcised, and Ishmael, his son, and all the men of his house, born in the house, and bought with money of the stranger, were circumcised with him. Like, wow. There's a lot in, the, there's a lot in this chapter, and, and some of it's not real easy to read, honestly. Um, but... You know, we could focus on the covenant. We could focus on, on all. We could, there's many things we could focus on. We could focus on the blessings promised. But I want to primarily see what God expects after he reveals himself. You see, this is mostly revelation, revelation from God. And a lot of times we get into the habit of having revelation. Well, we don't submit to the expectation and we miss why God revealed himself in the first place. And if you'll be open to it this morning, I think it could be a help to you this point as we go the expectation of revelation. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. We know that God wants to bless his word, and I've already been praying for that this morning. 
Um, this is an impossible situation. You ever had an impossible situation? One that just seemed like there was no way out of it? Well, if you wonder if this is an impossible situation, all you have to do is look at the very first phrase of the whole chapter when it says, and when Abram was 90 years old and nine. So just as a review, God made a covenant with Abram back in Genesis 12 to bless him with a son, to give him great blessings, to give him his own land. And that was when Abram was around 70 years old. But by the time he's about 85, there in Genesis 16, and still had no son. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He took matters into his own hands. Sarai came to him and said, it doesn't look like we're going to have children. I'm in my 70s, you're in your 80s. Here's my maid, Hagar. Would you take her, have a child with her? So Abram did, and they had a child. But that child, that son, Ishmael, was not the son of the promise. This was not, the, the Bible calls him actually the, the son of flesh. He's the child of flesh, and Isaac would be the child of promise. So that was about 13 years before Genesis 17. And about for, for about 13 years, we are led to assume that God did not appear to Abram with any special revelation. Now, I'm not saying that God and Abram didn't ha- Abraham didn't have a relationship at all, um, but we are not, we're led to believe that For 13 years, God did not confirm his covenant with Abraham. And I think part of that, obviously, is the fact that Abram sinned and took matters into his own hands. And and friend, when you take matters into your own hands, it will affect your relationship with God. And you think that you can do things your own way without his help, but I'm telling you, it affects how he deals with you. So we come to Genesis 17, Abram's 99, Sarai's 89, and they're waiting for a baby. Are you doing the math? And you might say they're a little past that phase of life. Paul in Romans 4 said that when it comes to childbearing, Paul said Abraham's body was dead. He said that Sarah's womb was barren. Her womb was dead. And so uh, they, they probably shouldn't have started painting a nursery anytime soon. Because this was not... This was not a normal occurrence. This actually, if you looked at it, and based on what Paul wrote in Romans 4, their bodies are no longer capable of having children. Abraham's body is not capable. Sarah's body is not capable. And based on these comments about Ishmael in verse 18, oh, that Ishmael would live before you, it's likely that Abram had given up on a child with Sarai. It's likely that he knows this is an impossible situation. He's 99, Sarah's 89. He acknowledges in verse 17, by the time he has a child, he'll be 100 and Sarah would be 90. This is impossible for man. Because look what happens at verse 17, sorry, verse 1. And when Abram was 90 years old and 9, the Lord appeared to Abram. See, when we have situations in life that feel impossible and don't have answers, as long as God stays out of it, but it says the Lord appeared unto Abram. And honestly, this changes everything about the situation. And, this, and listen, God does this. When we're at the end of ourselves, and when it feels like there are no answers, when it feels hopeless, God comes along and by his very presence reminds us that our situation is never out of his reach. I mean, this chapter is primarily a a message from God to Abram. If you read the whole thing and just think about what's happening, God does most of the talking. 
Almost the entire chapter is God speaking. This is revelation. You say, well, Revelation's a book in the Bible. Well, yes, it is, but a revelation is a revealing. This is God revealing himself. He's revealing something to Abram, and he's come to an impossible situation to remind Abraham that nothing is outside of his control. He's coming to remind him that if he makes a promise, he's going to keep it. As a matter of fact, he uses the word covenant 13 times in this chapter. So on God's mind, when he comes to reveal himself to Abraham, is the covenant, the promise, the covenant. And remember, this covenant, this promise of wonderful blessings through Abram's seed is not about Abram. It's not up to Abraham to keep it. It's unilateral, meaning that God made the promise. It's a one-way promise. It's unconditional, and it is wholly dependent on God himself. So when the Lord appears to Abram here in verse 1, it says, and he says unto Abram, look at this, and said unto him, I am the almighty God. I think Abram needed to be reminded of that at this time. Of all the things that God reveals to Abram, I believe that this is the most important, uh, the most important fact. See, the Hebrew name, what, what, what Abraham would have heard when God said, I am the almighty God, what he would have heard is, I am El Shaddai. El Shaddai. And that means, and it can mean a number of things, there are different, uh, different approaches, but it basically means God Almighty. And El Shaddai means that I have all power, I am all sufficient. And there are some that say that Shaddai actually means um, means nourishment, like as of a, of a woman's breast to her child. And, and, and if it means that, that's fine, because it means that God is not only all-powerful, but he's all-sufficient, meaning that everything that he has, he makes available to us, like a mother would to his child. So he's the almighty, all-sufficient God. He is El Shaddai, and that's what he tells Abraham. The name El Shaddai is often also very connected to producing life, fruitfulness. El Shaddai is the supplier and he pours out life and he can satisfy even a barren womb. And it's all about him. It's not about Abraham. He is almighty God. Even, so here's the point is that even nature has to submit to him. See, nature would have us say, this is impossible. You know, Abraham's body would have us say, this is not happening. Sarah's womb would have us say, this is not going to be possible, except that El Shaddai shows up and says, I am God Almighty, and I am all sufficient. And listen, this couple may be impotent, but God is omnipotent. And he comes bearing this message. And look at verse 3. After hearing this response that he will be blessed and God will keep his promise, it says, and Abram fell on his face and God talked with him saying, listen, in response to God Almighty coming to him, Abraham falls on his face in worship. And I really want to talk about more uh, this point right here because I think it's valid and important. This is the most, friend, if you read the Bible and you're looking for the definition of worship almost every single time, the most biblical definition of worship is bowing on your face before God. And we've kind of become, in, in our culture, church culture today, we kind of imagine worship being like this. Sorry, I can't lift my arm all the way up. Worship being like this. I have a bum shoulder. 
like this. But really, I mean, not to make it awkward, but, you know, worship really is this. And we think worship is up. But listen, any time that God showed up and appeared to somebody in the Old Testament or even in the New Testament, when Jesus kind of let a little bit of his glory be known, man, people were on their faces. When God Almighty reveals himself, the most natural response is face down. And I, I find it sad that most, the most biblical form of worship is missing in many churches. Listen, I'm going to encourage you today, don't be hesitant to bow before him. That's why I encourage, when we pray on Wednesday nights, I've begun really encouraging people to bow during our prayer time because worship is a good position for us to be in. It's why when God speaks into your heart at invitation and these altars are open, I encourage you not to just stand and pray at your seat, but to come down and bow before God. Because any time that the God of heaven, the almighty God, would take the time to reveal himself to me, I should be on my face in worship and gratitude. We had more time to deal with it. We'll move on. But listen, what Abraham, Abram had to learn from this is that even the impossible things are no match for God Almighty. And I believe that's the foundational truth of this passage, the, the baseline for all that Abram needed to know. And as big as the impossible situations are, they're no match for an infinite God. So if I was to say the background of this passage is an impossible situation, but really what comes in and changes is, is an infinite God. He's eternally powerful, friends. There's no limit to his strength and there's no limit to his wisdom. There's no limit to his understanding. And I wish that I could lift him up even more this morning that he's immeasurable and he's unlimited and he's unchanging and he's incalculable. And any other adjective you can think of that inspires the imagination, it, imply, it applies to God. God is the God of the impossible. That's the revelation from God to Abraham this morning. That's the primary truth that God reveals about himself. And I want you to look at how an infinite God handles this impossible situation. Look at verse 2. And I will make my covenant between me and thee and will multiply thee exceedingly. So he brings up the covenant and he says, listen, Abram, I'm not just here to bless you once or bless you twice. I want to bless you with multiplication. I want to bless you beyond what you can imagine. Look at verse 4. As for me, behold, my covenant is with thee, and thou shalt be a father of many nations. So God comes and says, as for me, listen, for Abram, as for you, walk before me and be thou perfect. But as for me, I'm going to make you a father of many nations. Now, this is different than Genesis 12, because over in Genesis 12, God basically said, I'm going to make you a father of a nation. Well, he comes now and he says, listen, this isn't about addition anymore, Abram. I, this is not just about a nation. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm not about addition right now. I'm about multiplication. And it's different than Genesis 12. Look at verse 6. It says, and I will make thee exceeding fruitful, and I will make nations of thee, and kings shall come of thee. The infinite God is promising to make this childless 99 well, not childless, he's got a son Ishmael, but he's childless with, childless with his wife Sarai. He's this 99-year-old man, he, who, he, not just a father, he's not going to just turn him into a father, he's going to make him a father of multitudes. That's the promise. Look at verse 5. Neither shall thy name any more be called Abram, but thy name shall be Abraham, for a father of many nations have I made thee. He changes his name from Abram to Abraham. Listen, he says, listen, your name, Abram, which means, 
basically father of high places or exalted father, which is a good thing. He says, but it won't apply anymore. I will make you a father. I'm going to call you Abraham because you won't just be a father. You're going to be a father of many nations. You're going to be a father of multitudes. Abraham went from being a father to being a father of nations, multitudes. And look down in verse 15. And God said unto Abraham, as for Sarai thy wife, thou shalt not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall her name be. And that name Sarah means princess or, or queen. And, and you know, the, the, if you call your wife princess, is that your pet's name? Your, your pet, I don't know if you have a pet name for your wife. These days it's babe. I don't want to hear that anymore. Babe, babe. Well, Sarah, he says, I'm going to change your name from Sarai to Sarah, which means you're going to be a queen you're going to be a princess. It's royalty implied. And the idea is that she's not just going to be the, the mother of one son, Isaac. She's going to be the mother of nations, he says. This is, listen, this is what the infinite God can do in your life. He can transform you from what you're capable of in your strength to what he's capable of. And listen, in our strength, we're not capable of very much. We're not capable of anything very impressive. But when we have God on our side, he can take us, he can transform us from something that we are to multiply more. Yeah, and I, I love the way that God works in people's lives. And I, there are people in this room who in their own strength, I mean, they, they, they had a job or they had a family, but it wasn't going very well or Things just weren't going very well, but then God intervened in their lives. And now it's not just that they have a job or they have a family, but God has changed them and transformed them from what they were to what he wants them to be. And he's changing them in such a way that there's multiplied blessings now. And if God's done that in your life, I mean, you can say that too, is that if, I, if all I had was what I could earn and what I could do in my own strength, it wouldn't be very much. But when I look at what God has done in my life, the multiplied blessings that God has brought in my life, I mean, he might as well have changed my name too because I'm not the same person that I used to be. By changing the names to Abraham and Sarah, God was saying, I'm going to apply my unlimited power to this situation. I'm going to take you from what you are to what you need to be. And I wish I had more time to expand on this thought too. But without God, we are limited to what we can do, which isn't much. You know, it wasn't enough. My strength and my answers weren't enough to save me from my sins. In my own strength, listen, in my own strength, I could have tried all I wanted, but I would have never made it to heaven. Only Christ's death can make that possible. Even still, you know, I've been saved for a number of years. I mean, decades now, I've been saved. And yet, in my own strength, if I don't rely on God's help, then I don't even have hope to, to overcome this sin in my life. I need God's help. According to Romans 6, I've got to have his help even just to die to sin. I can't even do that on my own. And I think about all the limitations that I have. Listen, as a, as a father, I wouldn't even know where to start with raising children if it wasn't for God's help. You know, all these things would be out of reach. Heaven would be out of reach if it was up to me. But Christ makes it possible for every man and woman and child. And that's why God is called El Shaddai, God Almighty. Friend, if God can make Abraham and Sarah 190, 100 years old and 90 years old, if he can make them the, the parents of nations, he can help you with whatever you're facing in your life today.
The Almighty God is infinitely bigger than the impossible. Whatever you face in your life, you have a resource greater than that circumstance. You got a sin problem this morning? God can forgive it. You've got a health problem that seems impossible? No, God is the great physician. He is the healer. You've got some major dilemma in your life and you don't have answers and you don't know what to do and you don't know where to find wisdom. God is omniscient and he's all-knowing and he's given you a resource full of wisdom to help you make decisions like that in your life. Listen, there's no circumstance he can't answer. The infinite God is greater than the impossible situations in your life. And if he can make a 99-year-old man and an 89-year-old woman this fruitful, he can help you with whatever you're facing. But even that's not the point this morning. Verse 7, it says, And I will establish my covenant between me and thee and thy seed after thee and their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God unto thee and to thy seed after thee. And I will give unto thee and to thy seed after thee the land wherein thou art a stranger, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. I love these verses. It's amazing that God Almighty with limitless power is making promises. He's not just saying, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. I'm going to multiply your blessings. Not just a son, but nations. You're going to be exceedingly fruitful. You're going to produce nations and kings. And I make a promise that this covenant is everlasting, meaning that it is eternal. It's not going away. The relationship is unchangeable. You'll have all the land you can dream of. You have all the blessings you can even think of. And I'm thinking, man, what more could you ask for? It's pretty easy to get excited when an infinite God shows up in your impossible situations. Well, you ought to get excited. But there's a twist. Plot twist. You know, the one you didn't see coming. Because I can imagine Abraham to this point is like, man, this is great. 13 years I've been waiting for him to come and reconfirm the promise. And now he's coming and he's not just going to make me the father of a nation, but father of many nations. And, and all these things are coming and the blessings are coming. And, and he's going to give us a son, I mean, Sarah and I. And we're going to have a son and, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to be amazing. I'm excited. And then God begins talking there in verse 9 and kind of throws a twist into the revelation. Look at verse 9. And God said unto Abraham, Thou shalt keep my covenant therefore, thou and thy seed after thee in their generations. This is my covenant which ye shall keep between me and you and thy seed after thee. Every man child among you shall be circumcised. And ye shall circumcise the flesh of your foreskin. It shall be a token of the covenant betwixt me and you. And he that is eight days old shall be circumcised among you. Every man child in your generations. He that is born in the house or bought with money of any stranger which is not of thy seed. He that is born in thy house, he that is bought with thy money, must needs be circumcised. And my covenant shall be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. The uncircumcised man, child, who, whose flesh of his foreskin is not circumcised, that soul shall be cut off from his people. He hath broken my covenant. Wait, What? I mean, think about it. This is, this is brand new information. This is not anything that, that would have been familiar to Abraham. And this is, you know, can you just imagine the flip in his emotions? I mean, all these amazing things. And he's bound before God for his multiplied blessings. And all these promises are confirmed. El Shaddai is on his side. 
and then things take a little bit of an unexpected turn. Every male must be circumcised. I mean, it's a token or a sign of the covenant between God and Israel. It's a reminder of the covenant. This was to remind them of the fact that God, that, that there's a covenant. They were God's people. But it's just a little bit out of left field. You know, it was done in a permanent way to remind them that they're God's people. And it seems easier to do maybe, maybe what about some other kind of mark? I mean, I mean, what about something else? I mean, this, just, this one is going to permanently affect every male. And that's exactly what God wanted. It's a putting away of flesh, literally. And its connection then even with reproduction was God's way of reminding them that fruitfulness is his blessing. And that they should be careful to be separated from those, the, the pagan tribes of the land and intermarrying those and having children with those. And so God was reminding them and telling them, listen, you have a covenant, it's all of me, but I want you to bear a sign of the covenant. I want you to take a step. And I know it sounds strange, but God was looking for a commitment from them. This is a commitment. A commitment. This covenant was that important to God. This was no small ask. And really, it was a matter of separation. God wanted his people to remain holy, and, and who they married and, and had children with mattered. And he wanted them to think about that. He, he wanted them to be reminded of that. It, it's not just for health benefits, although God's wisdom early on is once again confirmed through this. I mean, even God's instruction on waiting till the eighth day. You know, a little, a little baby's blood doesn't coagulate till the eighth day. And, and so you wait till the eighth day to perform this procedure. That's interesting. And, but in the end, this was a reminder that Israel's seed was to remain set apart. I mean, if a Jewish man married an idol worshiper, this would literally be a physical reminder of his violation of God's law. Those that refused would be separated, cut off from the rest of the nation. And now it's not that the physical act itself made them holy. It was an outward sign of an inward belief. It's kind of like water baptism. Amen. You know, and, and we, we around here, we're, you know, we're Baptists, but even more importantly than that, we were Bible believers. Amen. We're Baptists because we believe the Bible. But, you know, we, we believe, according to the Bible, water baptism is simply an outward sign of an inward decision. It's an outward sign of what's already taken place on the inside. And circumcision for the children of Israel was that as well. It wasn't just an outward move. It wasn't just an outward physical act. It was a sign of inward belief. It was trust in God. It was commitment to God. It didn't make the co covenant valid and it simply gave evidence that God had made a covenant and they were his covenant people. But here's what I want to point out this morning. The context of this chapter has Abraham and Sarah facing an impossible situation. And the first part of the chapter is the revelation of an infinite God working on their behalf. Bear with me, we'll get to it. And that almighty God has revealed himself, confirming his covenant with undeserving people. And it starts with an impossible situation. It's confronted by the revelation of an infinite God. But there's a third part here, and sometimes we miss this. See, there's an expectation for Abraham. The revelation of God leads to an expectation for Abraham. 
See, look back at verse 1D. I, I mentioned at the end of verse 1, I mentioned this earlier, but this could have been glossed over. He says, I am the Almighty God. Walk before me and be thou perfect. Yes, God comes along and he makes all kinds of promises. Yes, God comes along and he wants to bless Abraham and he wants to bless Sarah and he wants to multiply their blessings. But he doesn't just say, okay, now you can just go live however you want to. He says, no, walk before me and be thou perfect. Walk before me means to just live your life before God. Be thou perfect. Perfect means whole or entire. And God is just saying, listen, all these blessings are your, yours. My expectation of you, though, is that you live for me. And I'll give you all of these blessings. I'll bless you beyond imagination. I'm not just going to make you the father of a nation. I'm not just going to give you one son. I'm going to give you multitudes of sons and daughters. And I'm going to give you more than you ever dreamed about. But listen, it's only right that there's an expectation on your part as well. He wants a commitment. He wants an expectation. I mean, think about it. God came to them at the end of themselves and he, it was impossible. Yet God confirmed his promises and he's going to work mightily on the behalf of these undeserving sinners. He's going to bless them with blood descendants. And in the millennium, the, the prophecy reveals that we're all Abraham's spiritual descendants. I mean, the song is so true. Father Abraham had many sons. You know, we think it's a silly kid's song, but listen, we are all spiritual benefactors of this initial faith God made a promise that he's going to keep no matter what he'll be their God even he says I'll be your God he says it twice he transformed Abraham from Abram and Sarah from Sarai and he does renovating work in their lives and he changes their names and God is doing incredible things on their behalf and he's doing it all for free this covenant is everlasting Nothing can break it. It's all of God, and it's as good as done. So here's the revelation. God comes, God promises, he makes a covenant, he blesses, he multiplies. He does everything he can to have a relationship with them. He's doing it all, and he has one expectation. Just walk before me and be perfect. Amen. And here's how you can do it, Abraham. Circumcision. One simple act on their behalf. Every male, natural born, servants. And yes, it is a commitment. Yes, it will leave you changed. No, it won't be easy. It will require a sacrifice. It's going to cost you just a little bit. But for a God that is willing to reveal himself and work on your behalf to multiply your blessings, this is a pretty reasonable expectation. See, here's the truth. And I want you to get this this morning, and I may take it a direction you're not thinking, but revelation from God doesn't end with revelation. It ends with expectation. Meaning, when God reveals himself on our behalf, the least we should do is submit to his expectations. So you go, you go to a restaurant and someone serves you, you feel an obligation to acknowledge it. You say thank you. When our children were little, man, we worked hard on them learning to say thank you. They were all about saying please. But once they get what they want, they run off and don't say anything about it. Well, it's only human consideration. 
when someone does something for you to say thank you. It's just a natural response to someone doing something out of just out of love or out of service for you. You say thank you. That's what we do. But listen, the holy God of heaven has worked on all of our behalf and he continues to. And it's true every day. I want you to get it, get it here. He created each of us. He gave us the opportunity to live. Every day his grace holds things together for us. By him all things consist. Our bodies continue to work and function because he keeps them working and functioning. He set the earth and the universe at the exact right angle, 93 million miles from the sun or however far it is, so that our lives could be sustained. The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from above. And yet the vast majority of mankind reaps God's blessings without submitting to God's expectations. They just live their life. And every day they live and breathe and just move about. And I mean, they haven't done really anything to earn that except that God has shown grace to allow them to. And yet they never acknowledge God in their daily lives. It's also true in salvation. We were all born sinners and that sin separates us from a holy God. We had no hope of entering heaven because God lives there and he's sinless and holy. And I certainly am not. Something had to be done with my sin before I could be eligible to enter into heaven and live with God forever. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to the cross and he took the wages of our sin upon himself and died in our place. He was buried and then he rose again the third day so that salvation could be made available to sinners like you and me. He revealed himself. He worked on our behalf. But in yet a disturbing trend once again, the vast majority of mankind lives on without submitting to God's revelation and expectation. I mean, he died. Listen, the worst sinner on this planet. God loves him. The, the person who has done the most to hurt the name of God or hurt other people, Jesus Christ on the cross thought about their name he literally died for the sins of the whole world the bible says and yet the vast majority of people i would say the vast majority of people on planet earth just live their lives doing what they want enjoying the blessings that god gives just through nature the promises of salvation, I mean, those are available. And yet, most people just live their lives without submitting to God's expectations. And listen, when God reveals himself to us, our natural response should be to submit to his expectations. Romans 12.1 says it's our reasonable service. But most don't. You know the primary method that God has revealed himself to us today? Through his word. Countless homes in this country, friends, pay attention, listen. Countless homes in this country have a Bible sitting under their roof somewhere. The majority, probably. And God's revelation of himself usually sits unnoticed in people's lives. This book, though, is full of reasonable expectations. Today, God only asks not even that we circumcise our bodies, that we circumcise our hearts. Romans 2 says that circumcision is a matter of the heart that inward change is made when God speaks to us and reveals himself and he works on our behalf and we submit. Listen, that's all he asks. 
The Almighty God of heaven is El Shaddai, and he still reveals himself through creation and through his word, and he still expresses expectations, and all he asks is that creation submits to the expectations of his revelation, but most people refuse. And therefore, most people will live their lives missing out on the incredible transformation and change and blessing that God wants to reveal in their lives. How sad. How sad that the God of heaven could go to such lengths to put people in a position to bless them. To give them everything they could even possibly dream about. And I don't just mean a life of ease. I mean spiritual blessings. I'm talking about things that nobody, no money can buy. Like peace in your heart. And rest in your soul. And forgiveness of your sin. And being made right with God. I'm talking about the things that you could never pay for. You could never earn on your own. I'm not talking about you know, riches. And I'm not talking about a bigger house and a nicer car. I'm talking about the things that if, we, if, if it's all we had, it'd be enough. And yet most people don't have them. Because they're not willing to take the moment to submit to the expectation from God's revelation. Sometimes the expectations feel big. They maybe, maybe feel costly and they may be hard, but listen, they're not a cross. At least not for us. It's not suffering and death. It's not dying for someone else's sins like Jesus Christ. God simply wants those that have benefited from his revelation to be willing to submit to his expectation. And you know, I'm talk, I'll talk about salvation here. See, here's the revelation. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You're a sinner. You couldn't earn heaven on your own even if you wanted to. Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins in your place. And all you have to do is receive him as your savior. Place your faith in his finished work on the cross. And you can, you can spend eternity in heaven with God. That's the revelation. You know what the expectation is? They that call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It means that you have to come to the end of yourself, realize you can't do it, and place your faith in Jesus Christ. That's all. And yet there's a world full of people who won't even submit to that expectation. God's revealed himself. He's done the work on their behalf. And they say, yeah, I'm not going to submit to that. But you know what might be the saddest part of all this? Don't get too happy. Turn to James chapter 1. Sometimes I think that the saddest part of all of this might be God's people. You see, we get the most of God's revelation. And I, I want you to miss it. I'm going to wait till you turn there. James 1. But friends, most people in this room sit in church three times a week. And God reveals himself to us through preaching and through teaching. And the good Christians in this room, you know, the ones supposedly the good Christians in this room, they read their Bibles every day. You know what that means? In your life, there's a lot of revelation going on. God reveals himself to you. Not new revelation, I mean just through his word. And he comes to you through the preaching, and he comes to you through the teaching, and he comes to you through your own Bible reading, and he comes regularly, and he comes often. And friend, listen, with every revelation, there's an expectation. But it's sad that we can read and listen to God's word so many times without submitting to change. And folks, every time God's word is opened, there's an expectation for change. 
But I'm afraid that the churches and Christian homes are full of people who hear God's word without submitting to its expectations. There's a danger in that, though. Look at James 1.22. It says in verse 22, But ye be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. Listen, I just, I, you just listen. Those that have the most revelation, those that hear God's word the most, are the, have the most potential to be deceived. Because you hear God's word, and you hear God's word, and it's coming in, and it's more revelation, and it's something else. And it says, but be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. The more that you hear without doing, the more deceived, the Bible says, that you can become. Verse 23, it says, for if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man beholding his natural face in a glass, for he beholdeth himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. You ever looked at yourself in a mirror then got distracted and forgot something that needed to be fixed really bad? And you go about your day and you forget about it? That's what the Bible says, those that sit under revelation but never practice change or submit to the expectations. That's what God says we're like. It's like the person looking in the mirror and seeing that change needs to be made but goes about his way without making the change and just further and further layers of deceit are being established around your heart. Verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this man shall be what? Blessed in his deed. Blessings are dependent on our response to God's revelation. If I was going to say it this way, my willingness to submit to the expectation of revelation has a direct impact on God's choice to bless me. I'll say it this way, your willingness to submit to the expectation of revelation directly impacts God's ability to bless you. See, listen, God, God comes to you in your most impossible situations. And he reminds you that he's able. And he reveals himself to you and he says, here's what I can do. But I have one expectation. And very often, God's people come to that point, close their Bibles, and they walk away and miss the blessings. Because we're so used to the revelation. We're so used to the truth. We're so used to the teaching. And listen, I believe that God's people are primarily the ones with layers of deceit around their heart. Because time and again God has revealed himself and even asked for an expectation, but they have refused to submit. I just want you to remember what Abraham did, though, at the end of chapter 17. He, he got his men together, his son, all the men of his house, hired servants, everybody. And the same day that God revealed these things to him, they went out and got circumcised. And you say, well, that's pretty radical. no. Abraham knew that if he didn't respond to the revelation, he would miss the blessing. Listen, you want to be blessed in your deed as a child of God? When God gives you revelation and he sends truth your way, instead of at invitation time, this is what we do, at invitation time, you know, we're sitting, invitation time comes, we close our Bible and it's like, okay, 
Time to think about the roast. Time to think about the meeting I've got to go to. And God, the God of heaven, the almighty God of heaven, has just taken the time to reveal himself to you. And not just reveal himself to you, but say, I can do this. I can work on your behalf. And not only that, I want to bless you and I want your life to be great. And I can help you if you would but submit to the revelation that I've given you. Just one, one expectation, just submit. That's the expectation. And yet we're so full of our pride and self that we think, you know, we can do this on our own. But we miss the blessings. Here's the point. The God of heaven has revealed himself to you. And honestly, his expectations are lower than the ones he placed on his own son. He has expectations of you. Why won't you submit? Listen, submission equals blessings. Whatever it is that God's speaking to you right now about, why not submit? Blessings are at stake. For those of you in here that you know that you're not saved, you've never placed your trust in Jesus Christ, listen, you know what's at stake for you is eternal life in heaven with God. And all you have to do is submit. Say, I can't do it. I'm not almighty God, but you are. And I know you've got the answer. So God, I come to you as a sinner. You take care of my sin, please. Your son did the work on the cross. I place my faith in you. And I call upon you right now in faith, believing not by works, but because of your finished work on the cross. And you know what you'll have? And when you stand up, eternal life in heaven. If you will determine to submit to God's revelation, you will be spiritually blessed in your deeds. Will it always be easy? No. Will you always get what you want? No. Will there be a cost? Yes. But when you stand before God and you answer for your life and how you stewarded the revelations, the times that he came and spoke to you and worked on your behalf and you say, God, here's, here, I did this, Lord, I really did. Every time you spoke, I tried to respond. Everything that you revealed to me, God, I tried to be a doer. Everything that you asked of me, Lord, I did my best to submit to change. I'm telling you, you will set yourself up for a life of blessing. But if you're not willing to submit to it, then you'll miss out on all of those things that God wants to do for you. So listen, there's an expectation for revelation. And the one, those of us that hear God's word and read it the most, we're most prone to miss it. Because we're like, oh, it's just another, another invitation. No, listen, if God's prompting your heart, even right now, that tugging on the inside, that conviction in your heart, if he's moving, you better respond to the expectation. Or you add another layer of deceit. And I don't want to be that way. I don't want to miss out on God's blessings because I get so used to his revelations. If God speaks respond let's be that kind of people if he's going to take the time to come from heaven and speak to me through his word then the least I can do is live before him and give him my whole life whatever it is that you ask God it's yours would you do that this morning every head bowed every eye closed We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.